Hey, and just a quick reminder that the audio-only versions of these Vital MX interviews are available on the Vital MX podcast page. Search for it anywhere you get your pods and let your friends know about it. Hey everybody, this is Jamie with Vital MX, and today I've got a very special guest, the one and only Jeannie Carmichael online. How are you doing, Jeannie? I'm good. How are you? I am very excited. I have just I've been really excited about doing this mom's piece, and I'm very excited that you agreed to do it. I'm happy to help. <laughs> well, as the mother to the goat, I have a lot of questions. Uh, but I want to get to know you a little bit. Uh, what is your background? Where did you grow up? Were you raised in a competitive family? Um, no, not at all, actually. But um, I'm from Florida. I'm from originally from the Clearwater area, Pinellas County. And um, no, not in a competitive family <laughs> at all. So not really a sports-based family? Did you grow up playing any sports or not none? <laughs> Um, no, not really. You know, in school, just a little bit of like girls softball, you know, just for a short time, like most of the younger girls do. But, but that was it. I was into getting my schoolwork done and met Big Rick when I was really young. And then that was about it. Okay. What was your, when did you find an understanding of what motocross was? How did you discover the sport? Um... Well, we had gotten Ricky a peewee three-wheeler when he was five because Big Rick had a cousin with boys just a couple years older than Ricky, and they had them. So we bought that for him, ironically, for Valentine's Day. How about that? <laughs> wow, okay. Today is, I know, when he was five years old. And then we took him to Dade City because um, that was where everybody went. They had practice on Thursday nights and races on Saturday. And um, like I said, Big Rick's cousin and his boys were going, so we just took Ricky over there. And then, you know, you hear about other places after you're around the racetrack, but we didn't know, like, about Loretta's and stuff like that. We didn't know about all that when we started out. Yeah, so just complete rookies into the scene. Uh, (laughs) Once racing started taking off, did you notice it having an effect on Ricky, just his personality, his confidence, uh, you know, school? Did it bring a different, did it bring his personality out? Um, no, not really. When we first started, like I say, Ricky was five and we were actually still doing a little bit of T-ball at that same time. And we had told him then, you know, you have to pick because if you're on the team, it's not fair to not be there every week. And so he said, well, he wanted to race his motorcycle, you know, but they're five. They're in kindergarten. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And that was fine. But no, I never really saw anything different because he was racing or because he had a motorcycle. He's just kind of always been kind of competitive, you know, no matter what he's doing. I like that. Uh, Did once the racing took off, how quickly did it become serious? And as a mom, a lot of times, stereotypically, moms don't like their kids doing dangerous things. So how did you deal with that? Well, <laughs> I was really young and probably didn't know any better and probably wasn't the smartest mother out there <laughs> to let them do that. But when you start them doing it when they're that young and they're on peewees and little bitty two-wheeled motorcycles, and you go all the time, 
like I did, it's not scary because you know what to expect. You know when they're in control. You know, it's just like people would say, you know, when, when he turned pro, oh my gosh, and you throw the whips and you're not scared of that. No, because I was with him every day, and I know that when he's doing that, he's actually having fun and he's in control. Good that point. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. So at what point do you start going? We all, we all kind of know the story of you with the stopwatch and helping him train through his years. But at what point do you actually just start going to the track regularly? And when you do start going to the track, are you helping with the bike? Are you helping put the bike on the stand? All the things that, you know, a moto dad would normally do or a moto mom if she's there by herself. So when we lived in Tarpon Springs and we would only go to Dade City on Thursdays after school for Thursday night practice and then race on Saturday. And then when Ricky was in middle school, just so just starting middle school, Big Rick's work brought him up here to Tallahassee. So that's by that time he was on a 60. And um, I worked at the school so that I would always be off at the same time as him. I was a teacher aide at the middle school. And then when he got out of school, he and I would go to just a sand track here in Tallahassee. You know, Big Rick was an electrician, so he would make sure the bike was ready. We had a little pickup truck. He'd load it up, you know, and we would go. I would take it like that to work. And when he got out of school, then we would go and practice. Um, no, I didn't even, I think the most I ever did was put gas in. We just didn't. We just didn't worry about that. We went. We knew what we were going to do. There usually wasn't anybody else out there. Sometimes there was. Brian Swink was up here at the time. And um, that went on through middle school. And then as he got a little bit older and then went to high school, then I <laughs> was a substitute at that point so that, again, I could get off work the same time he did. And then when he was out of school, I was I was out of work and kind of still just the same routine. You know, by then we had maybe a couple more people up here that, you know, would be riding when we went out there to practice. And no, I never put the bike up on the stand or did anything like that. We came with it, you know, big rick maintenance did every night after work, sent us off to school in the morning. We went to practice, brought it home, he maintenanced it for the next day. Did you feel out of your element once you started helping with the, the stopwatch and technique or just kind of pushing your son to be better? Was that originally, was that out of your element? You know, we learned, I don't even, can't say that I was even doing the stopwatch when he, when early on, um, when we lived in, in the Largo and Clearwater area, we had come up here to Ronnie Lusk's riding schools, maybe three or four times, four or five times, you know, and that's when he was on a 60 and 80. And so you would just, you know, I would stand there and I would watch Ronnie, you know, show him about the front brake and keep your leg up in the turn. And so whatever I saw Ronnie telling him, I would just tell him the same thing when we went back home, if we went to Croom to practice, you know, or wherever we were practicing. And um, so it, I didn't feel like I didn't, know what I was doing because I was just doing what I saw Ronnie tell him to do and it just kind of 
kind of worked. You know, we raced all the time. We raced locally all the time. And, you know, by then we kind of knew, well, you, you kind of got to be good on your insides because everybody can do the same thing on the outside and everybody's doing the same jumps. But you got to be good on the insides. And now, I mean, I felt like I knew what I was talking about. Like I wasn't really intimidated by it and it seemed to be working. So we just ran it. Yeah. Well, obviously it worked out quite well, Jeannie. So I think, I think it was a good, uh, it was a good uh, setup. Do you feel like your relationship being able to go to the track with your son all the time and having that bond, do you feel like that helped build the relationship or was there tension at times that maybe, you would have rather not had had things been different. Um, there, yeah, there was tension, but I wouldn't. I was never going to not go because I was scared that it might ruin our relationship. Like that never might <laughs> enter his mind. It didn't ever enter. Didn't ever mind. You know, that was just what we did. Right. And you know, we were so far into it at that point, and it was always just him and I because Big Rick was always working. We we had the same routine until, gosh, I I think it was like I don't even remember what year it was that Big Rick finally quit the, his electrical job to be his full time mechanic. So what? I mean, we used to fuss, but that's just kind of what you do. <laughs> sure. You know, like it just. I mean, he was. I'm probably strong-willed and bullheaded and he is too but you know at the end of the day you know you come home and you try to you know we all lived under the same roof so you come home and you fix supper and you know make sure they did their homework and you know they're ready for school the next day and it's not fun all the time but when you go to the races and you're winning it's you know when you're 12 or 13 and you get the team green ride you know it's it's pretty good then and then you know that you've got to continue doing all the practice at home because that's what probably got you to that point so you know if you don't want to do it anymore that's fine and we'll tell them at the end of the contract but right now this is what they're giving you and we're going to give it a hundred percent and i'm you know i'm all about not i'm not leaving i mean you you can do it right and we can be here till dark or we can get it done at five o'clock but we're going to get it done right that's spoken like a true mom. I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so by 16, I believe he had 67 national amateur titles. The, you mentioned the team green support. With that comes pressures. I, I've talked to some of these young kids like Hayden Deegan and Ryder Francisco in the past about like all this pressure. That, that seems like a lot. I'm a dad. That seems like a lot for my kid that, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old going on to 16 was that hard for you to watch him deal with that? Or were you able to help keep some of that pressure of expectations from, say, Team Green off of him? You know, from the outside looking in, and now it does, because Ricky, for the most part, was so dominant as an amateur rider, and even in the 125 class, you know, before, before we got to Jeremy, because Jeremy was like the person that we looked up to. And and Ricky was very dominant until then, so I don't feel like like we struggled with, oh, I hope I'm going to do good here so that I keep my ride. You know, I don't, I want to say that we ever really dealt with that. If anything, we tried to keep a real close 
we called it our circle of trust. We just didn't socialize with a lot of people at the races. We were there to get our job done. We practiced. He was confident, you know, for the most part when he got there. And he, like I say, most of the time he was winning. So, it, you know, I don't think that we felt that tension like some of the other boys that maybe are not as dominant as Ricky was at the amateur level, if that makes sense. It does. It absolutely makes sense. You just mentioned something that actually spurred another question. Uh, Ricky trained alone a lot of the times, most of the time. Now, obviously, with the training facilities and, and I think uh, Star Yamaha, you've helped those guys out a little bit at the, at the goat farm. A lot of those kids are riding together. A lot of the the riders that are competing every weekend together at the highest level also train together. What are your thoughts on that? Do you see the benefits? <laughs> do, do you think it would have benefited Ricky in any way? I mean, obviously, he was one of the most dominant riders of all time, so you didn't do anything wrong. But just what are your thoughts on how things are done now? You know, I think it's I think it's absolutely bizarre because the way we did it worked for us. And you know, I I think the world of Jeremy and his mom and dad were good to us when Ricky was gosh, maybe 13 or 14 years old and Team Green had asked us to come out of out to California. It was around Easter time. And, and Ann and Jack had us over to their house. I'll never forget that It could because we had Easter eggs out there. And that was like, Jeremy was our idol. And for them to welcome us over there and have us over there, you know, for the weekend while we were in California was just, we were in awe of it. But we also were like, Never, like, Jeremy didn't ask us, you know, when Ricky was on 125s. He wasn't like, hey, why don't you come to California and ride with me? You know what I mean? Right. And, like, we didn't do this. <laughs> you know, we weren't doing the same thing, you know, with Bubba. You know, like, hey, why don't you come up to Tallahassee and ride with me? <laughs> we just, we come from an era of, you know, why would I show my competition my weakness? Yeah, I, know, I, I've heard that a us, lot. For us, it was working, not riding with a lot of people, like even when we had the farm up here, you know, and, and Ricky had it, there there might be one or two people there off and on. They never stayed very long. You know, we had, we've had we had Ernesto and Mike Brown and Clark Stiles and just, you know, Matt Walker, and, and, and they might come for maybe a couple weeks or so, and then they go back home. And that And that worked for us but back in our day we didn't like like i say jeremy wasn't asking us we weren't asking nobody else we just didn't do that probably has a lot to do with their personalities i kind of would liken ricky to almost tomac in the fact that he is self-driven and can do his own thing without having to have somebody there to just have a good time and learn from but it, it is a huge benefit i see it all the time now like with the star boys you know i see the Absolutely, they're they're learning. You know, it's. I, I mean, it's. They're all learning everywhere from from the older ones. It you know, it does all of them good to ride for a two hundred and fifty guy to ride with a four hundred and fifty guy and, and see what's working. But I think it depends on their personalities too. You know, if you've if once again, <laughs> you know, if you've got the one that's just super dominant, you know, like Hayden, absolutely, he's learning from the other guys at the farm. But he catches it so quick that it probably wouldn't matter, <laughs> you know, if he if he had somebody to quote learn from, 
you know, or not. He just, he has it. I, I've told him before, he's like Ricky. He just, it doesn't take him long. He adapts. He's got it. And he's got that drive. Yeah. But the, but the other up-and-comers are for sure benefiting from it. I mean, look at look at Levi. Look, I mean, look at all the rest of them. They're, I, I believe they're benefiting from riding with, you know, Jay Coop and all of them. I agree. I agree. Uh, so when Ricky goes pro 96 becomes rookie of the year, just what are your thoughts when that shift changes from amateur to pros? Every, a lot of things change on race day. There's a lot more, uh, expectations on race day. Maybe not at that time for him, but it definitely is a little different than racing the amateur nationals. So what are your thoughts at this time? Are you, are you nervous? Are you excited? Um, you know, I think if, if I can recall that, that <laughs> it's been a while to the, to the lights class because we didn't we didn't have Jeremy in the lights class, did we? In the one twenty fives, I don't think we ever had. No, I don't think so. He was. I don't, yeah. I don't think we ever had Jeremy nope. in the one twenty five. So for us, you know, that was Ricky at twelve and fourteen years old and sixteen years old. That was like the guy. Oh my gosh, if I could ever beat Jeremy. So when you jump into the 125s, then you're kind of still amongst Kevin Wyndham, Ezra Lusk, you know, guys that you've already run all of the Winter Am with and you've already run Ponca and Loretta's with, you know. So it's not, I don't want to say that it wasn't that hard, but we were looking at, we were still looking at like Jeremy was absolutely the best ever and you know when you got to get up and line up on the gate with him then you know you got to have your stuff together <laughs> not that the lights wasn't important to and there weren't other good riders and i think we had lampson and you know i think he was in there with us some can't i'm sure i'm forgetting a lot of the other top guys too but it's just like you know a lot of people look at someone differently i think a lot look at Ricky like oh if I could just beat him like that's how we looked at Jeremy you know because he was always a class ahead of us yeah it went, and I want to get to in a minute once he started beating Jeremy how that felt but before we do that I want to also I just want to talk about his personality a little bit as he went on in his career he had so much drive and determination which you've kind of touched on and almost never being satisfied sometimes he would have what from the outside, it was a really great ride, but he would not be happy. He would be angry uh, because of, he had so much motivation to win all the time. Again, is that hard for you as a mom to see that your son almost sometimes doesn't seem satisfied with really good results? Or were you, no, oh, we can do better, we can do better. Were you sort of on the same page as he was? Um, I didn't see, you know, you kind of put a perspective on it of the parent that maybe feels bad for them or you know once you know is worried about how they feel i don't think so because i feel like we were all on the same page mm. you know what i mean mm. like i feel like if you didn't win the first moto in outdoors well we know you're going to win the next moto you know get your shit together and we got this you know and then and then it happens so i i kind of feel more like we were all on the same page nobody like big rick and i didn't feel like oh it's okay sweetie don't worry about it you know it's gonna it's gonna be better no you never got that out of us because we're with him every day and 
you know what he's capable of and his record shows that so it's just kind of like okay you just you know sometimes crap just happens and no worries we got this you know and you just move on as a whole do you feel like ricky enjoyed his career you know it's i think he enjoyed it as probably more as he was older and able to appreciate his accomplishments and where it's put him in life at 25 years old versus 18 years old because at 18 years old you know if you're not winning you're at racing you could be out here you know running around with your buddies doing everything that the other 18 year old guys are doing you know they're hunting and drinking and you know, just running around, but because he was successful at 16 and 18 and 20, it probably was a grind for him. And I think it probably didn't, probably didn't just register with him until he got ready to retire that I'm glad I worked that hard because now I'm, you know, whatever he was, 25 or 27 when he retired, you know, wow, I'm, you know, I'm, set for life yeah yeah something to be very proud of uh you know and and what you mentioned mcgrath a couple times mcgrath changed the sport with the way he rode uh popularity ricky comes in and i and i've heard the story that you suggested or at least maybe kind of pushed him a little bit in the direction of trying to hire a trainer which you know alden baker and and ricky changed the sport also about how guys trained and the partying kind of ceased after Ricky a little, or it seemed to cease anyway. Uh, so he changed the game a lot too. Is that something you look back on and you, did you kind of push him towards that or is that somewhat of his own doing? You know, if we, if you go back to the, the light, the 125 years and, and Ricky was very dominant then. And then when you look at, the two you got to move up to the 250 class where jeremy is and you know michael rocco and like they're men Mm. those are full-grown men that you've now got to line up with and you know we've we always had johnny we've always had johnny o from from the very beginning and it was him that you know kind of pointed us a little bit towards eldon and and but we were already you know ricky was already winning you know, he was already dominant. Did we want to make sure that we had a little bit of an edge moving up to racing men like Jeremy and, you know, and Larocco and the likes of all of them? So that's probably, you know, that that's probably the reason that we that we looked at Eldon at that time was just to make sure that the conditioning side of it, we weren't dropping the ball on because now we not to be disrespectful to the Lindens and Ezra's and all of, you know, and all of those. But now we had Jeremy who absolutely was the king of Supercross, you know, and, and everything. So now you had to be physically ready, you know, for, for that next step. So that, you know, we just didn't want to drop the ball on that. And so that's where Eldon came into the picture just for that purpose, for the conditioning side, to make sure that we had that. You know, we we were already winning, so we just wanted to make sure that it maintained mm-hmm. when we when the ante was upped with Jeremy, and it definitely did. 
<laughs> no doubt. So <laughs> once he starts beating McGrath, who is the king, you know, and he's still considered one of the probably the greatest raider, uh, supercross racer of all time. At um, what does that feel like to you when you, when your son starts beating the guy that is the best? You're like, okay, yeah, my kid. I mean, do you have any idea that he's going to go on to win five supercross championships and seven pro motocross championships and be one of the winningest riders of all time? You know that you, you talked about earlier about the mom and the you know the kind of the nurturing side that's when it kicked in Mm. for me when I was so happy for him because he it's something he had worked so hard for that's all he wanted to do was to be able to beat Jeremy not be for any reason other than he was like his idol and he was the best that there was and he worked you know, that's what he worked for. And, and I've always been a big Jeremy fan. And, and I'll never forget, you know, the first time that he beat him over there. And, and so I was so happy for Ricky that he had achieved what he had worked so hard for. You know, did I know he was going to go on to be able to continue it for all those other years? You know, you would kind of think, you know, you don't know if you're going to be that dominant, but, you know, once again, you kind of look back at, at your history and you've, you know, you don't stop doing what's working, right. <laughs> you know, so you, you keep working really hard. And I think what eventually catches you is then you get the younger ones, you know, like the Villapotos that are, that are coming up and then it's just, you know, age, I think starts to play a factor in it. Yeah, I will tell you. I'll be honest. Your son broke my heart a little bit when he started beating McGrath. I was not. I was not happy <laughs> Are with you Ricky. From Cali? What's that? Are you from Cali? Well, I was born in San Diego, uh, but I, I live in Texas. I was actually living in Texas when Jeremy was pretty dominant, but I was still. I was a Cali boy at heart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know what was hard for us? Well. I'm hard for Ricky, but super hard as a parent when we would go to those. California rounds and they and you know how they introduced the riders out mm-hmm. and Ricky would come out in the 250 class with Jeremy and they would boo him horribly at opening ceremonies oh my gosh they would just and, and I just told Hayden this the other day because Hayden had a bad day somewhere and I'm like bud don't worry about it when we went to California the entire stadium would boo Ricky when he came out and he's like, why? And I said, because that's where Jeremy was. And they all wanted their hometown guy to win, you know, but as a parent, that was, <laughs> that was, that was the hard one. And I, you know, I, I understand the dynamics of it, but as a parent, that was hard. I can imagine that's literally one of my questions coming up. So we'll just move into it is dealing with the fans during that era. Even now with social media being so prevalent and Ricky in the TV booth, like you, it's impossible to make people happy no matter what the yeah. subject in the world is and no matter yeah. what Ricky does what we do in the media what the writers do there's always keyboard warriors that are very very negative um, yeah. so yeah I, I imagine that has to be very hard to sit back and even to not for you to not respond I'm sure you see these comments sometimes and you probably want to lash out it's got to be very difficult you know what I'm probably the only person that you know that doesn't do social media oh at all <laughs> No, I don't do any social media. And it's not just because I don't want to see it, you know, and trust me, all those years of getting booed out there in California has made me stronger. And it just, you know what, it it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. 
That's I mean, good. We were, Jeremy was always super respectful to Big Rick and I. He raced Ricky clean, you know, their entire career. And to me, that's all that matters. I don't care about, and this is going to sound nasty, I call them hamburger flippers. You know, I don't, that's what, irrelevant. Say that again. What, what do you call them? Hamburger flippers. Oh, okay. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's good. That's a good way to be to, to just brush it off because it doesn't really yeah, matter, you know. It. And it's really yeah. interesting. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but with Ricky in the booth, when he first started out, it, it wasn't great, but he works uh-huh. just as hard at the TV stuff, I think, as he did racing and takes it just as serious and he studies and he's gotten it so much better, in my opinion. And, and it's just, again, it's just that drive and determination, but you're never going to make everybody happy. It's just impossible. Yeah, and yeah, at the end of the day, it just you can't you can't worry about that. You, it's just like practice. You give it a hundred and ten percent, and that's all you can do. You know, just like at your job, you know, at my job, I, you just give it a hundred and ten percent, and it is and it is what it is. And you can't. I don't. I don't pay any attention to anybody that talks crap. I don't. Good it's, to me, it doesn't matter. All right, a few more questions. Um, what What are a couple of your fondest memories? Could be amateurs, pros, or even just some downtime, maybe some family time, just with Ricky growing up, what is, what are a couple fondest memories? Um, you know, at, at Dade City on the Peewee three, the, it was called a trizinger. It was like a three wheeler. <laughs> yeah, they, they used to have the great pumpkin race <laughs> and they would have two people on the little bitty Peewee three wheeler and they'd have a pumpkin in the middle of them and they had a ride around the track and not let the pumpkin fall off. That's great. That was, that was that was pretty fun at a at an amateur level. Um, the the big one absolutely was, and, and I can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was San Diego where Ricky first beat Jeremy. I think maybe he beat him at Daytona, but I think the that was that was huge just because I knew how much it meant to him. And then the other one's probably going to be like that first outdoor title because you just are like. Oh my gosh, I did it. You know, and you look back at, you know, we went to school, we lived in our, you know, we moved to Tallahassee, we lived in our motorhome in a parking lot while Big Rick was working and, you know, and and it was just me and him all the time. And then we had, you know, we just, that's all we did. And, And it was a lot of fun. You know, we just, we raced all the time. We raced at Muddy Creek. It was just, it was just fun. You know, the Boyers to this day are still real good friends of ours and, that was the racing people were our family. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw Ezra not too long ago locally here, and it's so good to see them. And he comes up and he gives you a hug and he talks about old times. And to me, that's what it's all about. You know, I saw Jeremy two or three years ago in, in Atlanta in the elevator. Same thing, you know, big hug. How you doing? And that's to me that that makes it all worthwhile i love uh, that's my favorite part of this so i'm glad you said that um what are you proudest of with ricky um i'm proud of his work ethic and that he's yeah, just pretty much the work ethic. I mean, he he knew what he had to do. It wasn't fun. He didn't give up. It paid off. And I see him, you know, he has such a good example he can set with his kids. You know, they're, they're almost 16 years old. 
And it's such, such a good example for how you can't just jack around. You know what I mean? Like, you, if you're going to do something, you've got to do it. You've got to do it right. You can't do it half-ass. You know, you can't make excuses. You get out of it what you put into it. And it wasn't fun for him all the time. And I know that. I mean, him and I used to, him and I, I've peeled out of that parking lot over there at the cabin. And he's just like flicked me off and smiled at the same <laughs> time. And But by the same token, I would never, ever not watch him race. You know, in, our, in his entire career, Big Rick missed two. And I missed one in his entire career. And, I, and no matter how bad you did, I'm never going to walk away. I'm never going to walk away from you. Beautiful. Um, last question. With the big rivalries that Ricky had, especially with Stu and Chad, now to see that they are doing podcasts together and in the booth together and taking pictures and they've been able to put the rivalry behind them as they got, they've gotten older and, they look back on the fond times now and, and find that excitement and tell them the stories. How does that make your heart feel? You know, <laughs> I know it sounds corny. I saw Bubba, you know, we saw him in the TV booth, outside the TV booth just this past weekend in Tampa. Mm -hmm. And what, same deal. Big hugs, you know, how's your mom and dad? You know, that's the first thing we asked him was, how's his mom and dad doing? And I said, I really wanted to see your brother. And, you know, we just kind of laughed about that. But I think it's, you know, I think it's great. And those guys always race, you know, I feel like they all had their own different styles of racing. And Ricky had to be able to maneuver, maneuver them for him to be able to come out on top when he could, you know, Chad was just so good all the time and was never going to give up, but he was clean. You didn't have to worry about him. You didn't have to worry about Jeremy, you know, and, and Bubba was just so fast all the time, you know, that you just kind of had to watch him. And if he had it, you know, if he could do some of the stuff, then, you know, then you knew that you could, but you knew he was going to be one, the one to go out there, you know, and, and, and jump at first. And so you just kind of had to be able to, to read them. And it's really cool that, you know, Bubba came up here to Tallahassee when, because we all are from that Dade City era. And his mom and dad let him come up to Tallahassee when he, gosh, he probably wasn't even 10 or 12 years old. And Ricky had just started driving. And he came up and he stayed with us for like three or four days and we took him around the block and he was like had a jog, which was kind of new to him. <laughs> and, but see, we grew up, like we all grew up together with them other than Chad. So it's cool. But, but I think what keeps them friends now is they were all respectful to each other. And you don't see that out there on the track now. And that's, that's really too bad. Because, like you said, there's a prime example of three of the top guys, and 10 years later, they're all buddies. Yeah, and I would have probably bet money there's no way that James and Chad would ever be buddies. And they they put they did have some moments where they weren't so yeah. clean, but they put it all behind them, and I, I like it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. I think, I think James probably rode Chad a little bit differently mm -hmm. you know, than he did Ricky. But yeah, I mean, they're they're all such 
good athletes in their own in their own way and my hands off to to all of them because when i look at how some of them ride today and when i look at those three boys i mean it's just to me it's the difference between night and day and those are three champions i agree so there's a lot to be learned from them you don't have to be a butt to be out there <laughs> and be a I think that's the, I think that's the quote I'm going to use for the title of your article right there. You don't have to be a butt to be. A, I love it. Well, I cleaned it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I love that. Uh, Jeannie, this has been a pleasure. And you said before we started recording that you don't do this very often. So it means a ton to me that you would do it. Um, thank you very much. Absolutely. <laughs> 